Amen. You can be seated this morning. It's a great day to be together. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Mark. We're going to be hanging out in the book of Mark um, through uh, Easter Sunday morning, actually. We'll spend four weeks walking through Mark chapter 2 and 3 in the very beginning, and then we'll jump towards um, the, the crucifixion and Palm Sunday later on. And, and there's a reason for that, because what we're really going to be talking about, how he is unashamed. Uh, God is unashamed about who he is, and that really causes us to have a reason to be unashamed of who he is from our perspective. Um, and what I like about the book of Mark is Mark's not afraid to show that Jesus was, was uh, here to turn the world upside down, to say it nicely. That, that Jesus, when he came, wasn't here to fit in. He wasn't here just to try to, to kind of go with the flow and then slowly change the world. That Christ came radically. In fact, Mark goes out of his way from the second chapter to start showing why the way Jesus spoke about the gospel, why he spoke about himself, really caused this massive stir that pointed to or caused the Jews to want to crucify him. I mean, it was crucifying someone is not something you did just because you didn't like somebody. It was something you did because in the depth of who they, you, they are and who you are, they challenged everything you were about. That would have been what would have driven them into that. And so as we look into it, we're going to look at this struggle and this wrestling. And so for the first four weeks, we're going to talk about how he is unashamed and why we can be unashamed of him, all right? So Mark chapter two is where we're gonna be today as we look through this. What I would like to do is I would like to read verse one through 17 together at the beginning or just with one another as we start, but then I wanna unpack it slowly as we get into the word. So uh, let's read it all together and you'll just stay with me, verse one. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not greet, excuse me, not get near of him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning their habits. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they had this question within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Verse 10, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all. And they were all amazed and glorifying God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now keep going to verse 13. And he, Jesus, when he went out again by the sea, all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, rose and followed him. And as he, Jesus, reclined at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard of it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. These two stories, they are different instances, but they carry the same vein. And I think what's important is that what we're going to see is Jesus being unashamed of who he was in front of them. He wasn't concerned about what other people would say or what other people would think. He was willing to put himself out there. And in doing that, he stirred things up. You know, one of, the, one of the pictures of a story a deacon told me years and years ago, I, don't, I can't know his name to give him credit for, was that a lady in church came up to a, to a man one day and he said, I saw your car parked out at the racetrack where horse racing was done and I know you were gambling there and that's what you should do, you're doing. You should be ashamed of yourself uh, because you're a deacon. And this is not a real story, so just so you'll know. And he said, he said, no, I wasn't. I actually was there with people from my small group and we were passing out just gospel truths and we were offering to pray with people because we know they're in bondage to sin. And she said, well, you know what's, what's important is what people see. They don't know what you're doing, but when they see, that's what matters. And people saw your car there. And so it's more true that you were sinning than you were doing something right. And the wise deacon walked away and that's not an oxymoron. There are some of you out there, right? The wise deacon walked away and didn't say a word. And he drove home and he lived about five, six doors down from this lady in the church. And he just went that night. Before bedtime, he parked his car in her driveway and got out and he walked home. <laughs> Let me tell you, perception is not as important as reality reality wins and that's what Jesus says so, so when we walk into church and we look good and we look like our life is together and we talk in our small groups and we say everything that we think everyone should want to hear so that they would know that we fit in that is not as important as what God is really doing in your life that exceeds that and Jesus is unashamed he is unashamed to make his presence known to us. And so we can be unashamed to seek him. If you miss anything else today, get that. Jesus was unashamed to make himself known, to make himself obvious where you and I could respond in the same way that Levi responded, in the same way this paralytic and his friends responded. So we can be unashamed to seek him, but it doesn't come cheap. Look in your Bible at verse 10. This is the first conversation that's going on because I want you to see what was really dangerous about Jesus to the Pharisees. In, in second, excuse me, Mark chapter two, verse 10, Jesus says, but that you may know the son of man has authority for, to forgive sins. When Jesus says this, and Mark records this in chapter two, it's to show us that it is dangerous in the sight of the world to be identified with Jesus. It is dangerous for people to see you connected with him because when Jesus came, he made it known very quickly to the Pharisees 
who he was and it was offensive. The son of man wasn't just this title that was used, but it referenced back to something that was very popular. And I know that end times are, in, are popular in our day, around 2000, they were really popular talking about the end times. But believe it or not, the Jews and the life of Christ under Roman, profesh, uh, uh, Roman occupation, they were really consumed with the book of Daniel. In fact, uh, Jewish historians write about the popularity specifically of Daniel, what we would call Daniel chapter 7. And listen to what is recorded in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 15. Daniel says, I saw a vision, a night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations and languages would serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion and it will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. You see, Jesus being the son of God, when he identifies himself in this midst, he says a couple of things. One, I'm the one you're looking for knowing you'll reject me, but I am making myself present with you and I'm not ashamed to do it. So don't, don't be ashamed to make yourself present and known and to seek me. But the Pharisees would have nothing to do with it. Because Jesus speaking those words and talking about that verse made him a threat to what they believed ought to happen. The lane they believed people needed to walk in. It threatened their authority. It threatened their standing. Because Jesus claiming to be the son of man and doing what he did, recorded in verse 1 through 17, is ridiculous. It's unthinkable. He couldn't be the son of God because... He wasn't following their rules. Not God's rules, their rules. And so let's just start taking this apart a little bit by a little bit as we walk through worship today. The first thing I want you to know is Jesus wasn't ashamed of those the world had cast aside or judged. So those who believe in him, we shouldn't be ashamed to seek him at any moment. Jesus was unashamed to be around the outcasts. He wasn't ashamed to be around the broken. And in these two stories, they weren't ashamed to be around him. I don't know if you've ever thought about it in this way, but a paralytic and a tax collector, they represented two ends of a spectrum, but all, both ends of that spectrum were on the wrong side. You see, when someone was paralyzed, it was thought, it was common thought and practice to think, well, they must have sinned or someone in their life must have sinned for God to have punished them this way. How many religions around the world, even if you're left-handed, not right-handed, something must be wrong with you. God is, has a beef against you. Well, in, in the time of Christ, if you were a paralytic, that was the thought. In fact, in John chapter nine, the disciples come to Jesus when they see a, a, a man on the ground and they said, why was he born like this? Who sinned? And Jesus said, it's, it's not about sin. This happened so that the Lord will be glorified through my work and my action. See, but we have a way of saying, but listen, the pretty people are more blessed. The rich people, they're more blessed. 
In fact, we, we talk about the good life and how God's going to provide for us often by moving us from one outcast and castaway system into a better one that the world accepts in a better way. And what Jesus says when he proclaims, I am the son of man, he comes in and says, I am inviting, I am open to those you cast away. I mean, I don't know about you, but if someone was digging a hole in my roof, they better be really important, right? I mean, if your grandkid shows up with a shovel and your shingles start flying, are you like, they must really want to see me? You know, you better have a real good reason. The interesting thing is that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't run away. The crowd doesn't scatter but he allows those the world has cast aside to seek him. You see, the same thing is true of, of Levi. Uh, Levi wasn't a paralytic. In fact, Levi was a traitor. He was an enemy. Everyone hated the tax collector, mostly or probably himself. See, because when a Jew became a tax collector for Rome, they were ostracized. They weren't allowed to go to worship anymore. They weren't allowed really to be around family. And the reason for that is if they were around their family, then their sin would spread to their family and their family would be ostracized. They normally lined their pockets with a little extra that the Roman government allowed them to take from the people that hated them. And what's wrong with fleecing someone that's a jerk to you? All of that is the thought process of a tax collector. He was someone that the world had thrown aside in every shape and form and was ready to stick it to the world at any moment. Neither he nor the world was justified. And what Jesus says in the midst of all of this is, I'm not ashamed to make myself known to you. See, Jesus knew fully the tax collector's story, everything about him, and he knew fully the paralytic story. And even in all of that, he wasn't ashamed to present himself to them. One of the most impactful Max Licato statements of my, my life, all right, was a statement where he says, Jesus will meet you where you are, but he won't leave you there. I think a lot of times our world says, Jesus will meet me where we are. That's awesome. He'll accept me and embrace my sin and love me just how I am. That is an untrue statement. Oh, then you mean I must have to clean up everything before Jesus would present or allow himself to be present. Not at all. He ate with sinners. He let the paralytic come down. But God is not ashamed to send his son into a broken world and to show us what light and hope and redemption is. But when Jesus comes into your presence, it is not so that he can rubber stamp the garbage that you have given your life to. He didn't leave the paralytic in his paralysis. He didn't rebuke the friends and he didn't leave the tax collector living a life of sin. See, Jesus was unashamed to make himself known to them. And so the question is, will you be unashamed to seek him in the moment that he comes? See, the paralytic and his friends could have said the house was too busy. And I don't know if you've ever been there. We're taking a group to Israel this summer and you'll see it. But many of the houses in this area are like a quad 
right? Not a duplex, but a quadplex that share a courtyard in the middle. So they basically share the, share the same backyard or inner yard. And for Jesus would have probably been teaching there and there would have been chairs all over the place, people standing, looking through the inside windows out where the breeze would blow through. And the paralytic and his friends could have said, there's no way. I know Jesus has made himself present. I know he's in our town. I know he's here and I've heard what he's done. But they could have said, it's just too much. What are people gonna think about us when we start digging in this roof? People are gonna think we're crazy. People are gonna think we have completely lost it. They they, they could have said, we need to wait for another time when it's easier. We don't wanna interrupt. They they could have added all these excuses that would one day be their judgment. But instead they were unashamed saying, whatever happens, we want to be close to Jesus. He has brought himself near. We won't waste it. I started thinking about church. When God came and made himself known through the testimony of Jesus Christ and the validation of the Holy Spirit, if you confess him as Lord and Savior, what happened in the moment that said, Jesus, I will be unashamed. For me, it was this reality that he's worth it all. Because all that I have is about what that paralytic had to offer. Nothing. All that I had was about what Levi had to give up. Nothing. And when the reality that the God of creation sent his son born in the flesh to come near to me, then every reason, every excuse started flowing away. And I started to think, what draws us to Jesus now? I mean, you're identifying with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the world hates him. Sin hates him. In fact, the goal is to pervert him, to dress him up and make him look like something different and seek your approval. I haven't had to pick a church to attend since I was a teenager. The Lord's kind of assigned me. But here's what I want you to know. When you seek Jesus, it has nothing to do with a cool building or a great service. It has nothing to do with stylistic means of communication inside or out. It's about seeking the one who's in the middle of it all. Because if Jesus is there and the pastor dresses funny, Who cares? If Jesus is there and the music sounds different, who cares? Are you ashamed to seek Jesus where he would be in the middle of the crowd? Or do you keep saying, Jesus, you haven't done enough to seek me? Let me tell you, God loved this world so much that while you and I were still drenched in our sin, he sent his son for us. So don't be ashamed to seek him at any and every moment. And here's the news news flash. If Christ is in your heart and you're gonna seek him, people are gonna notice and they're not all gonna cheer. 
There's gonna be people that sit in church next to you, hopefully not in this room today, that they enjoyed seeking Jesus half-heartedly alongside of you, but you wanna seek him wholeheartedly. I wanna let you know when it looks different, get, get ready because a critique can come from inside as well as it can come from outside. Church, we don't seek Jesus to win favor with men. His presence and his coming is our invitation. And whatever the world says, through hate, anger, victimizing, shame, it's worth it all. The next thing I wrote down is this, and it goes back to verse 10, and it ties really in to verses 13 through 17. In verse 10, look at what Jesus says here again. But you may know that the Son of Man has authority. He has authority on earth to forgive sins. What I love about this is Jesus says the paralytic, get up and walk, your sins are forgiven. He, he, just, he just focuses all here and the man receives him and he obeys him. But then all of a sudden the Pharisees and the scribes around him wondering, what are you doing? Who does he think he is? Jesus says, well, let me make this very clear because I'm coming into your presence just as much as I'm coming into their presence. I want you to, to see the beauty of this so that you will know. If you look in verse 13 and a little bit further on when it's talking through the story of Levi, verse 15 says, Jesus reclined at Levi's table. He reclined with the sinners. If you look other places in scripture, he reclined at tables with the Pharisees and the scribes. You see, Jesus wasn't afraid of his authority being challenged. And so you and I shouldn't be ashamed to put our full trust in him. Not our partial trust, not our momentary trust, not our Sunday trust, but our full trust in him. Because Jesus in his authority was saying this, my authority, who I am, will not be stained by their sin or yours. See, the Pharisees would say, who you dine with reveals your status. So you don't dine with people who aren't, maybe they can't put as much in the coffers as others. Maybe they have less desirable jobs. All those kinds of things. Don't do that. But if you'll dine with the the high brow, well, then you might move up the ladder. You might be somebody. And if you're living the good life, prosperity gospel, then God must love you more. And if God loves you more, then the sins that you do, they're really small when you compare them to others. Boy, that doesn't sound like it's Jewish history, does it? That sounds a little bit like today. And here's what Jesus says. My right standing with the Father will not be challenged just because I am present with people who are fallen and broken and sinful. Jesus isn't condoning the sin. He's not saying, don't worry about your sin. In fact, over and over, he says, go and sin no more. Jesus' authority isn't ashamed of putting himself out there for you. So you and I can't be ashamed to do the same for him. The paralytic, when Jesus said, get up and walk, your sins are forgiven. He could have said, you just said a bad phrase, your sins are forgiven. He could have not obeyed. 
He could have said, can I wait till the crowd clears? He could have put all these disclaimers on it. Levi, when he's in the tax booth, could have said, you know what, can I follow you later? Can I, can I put some parameters on it? Can you just work this thing around? It's a little bit more convenient for me if I could have a small group with you, Jesus, at 1030 on Sunday afternoon or Sunday mornings instead of, you know, nine o'clock. So does that be okay? You know, just all the things we put on it. But immediately Matthew or Levi followed, immediately the paralytic got up and Jesus embraces that moment because he was unashamed to let them see his authority and therefore they became unashamed to trust him completely. Church, when was the last time that you said, Lord Jesus, whatever you want, I'm in. When was the last time you said, Jesus, my eyes and my life have been focused in all kinds of places. Whatever you want, if it costs me my job, I'm in. If it causes havoc in my family, I'm in. Listen, if you loving Jesus causes havoc in your home, and the enemy has ever whispered a word like, I don't want to press my children into knowing Jesus or coming to church. Jesus was never a jerk. But let me tell you, you being ashamed of Jesus before your children is not a way to woo them to your King of Kings. Men, I know we live in a time when we identify much more with Levi, even the paralytic. Busy, work-driven, focused. We're not really ashamed of Jesus. He's just an afterthought. But our wives are in the word a lot. And she's got us covered. But maybe actually the enemy has said, not only does she have you covered, but let's be honest, you can never be as close to Jesus as her because you're starting too late. Levi wasn't a child when he got out of that booth and he followed Jesus. He was a man. These four men and the paralytic, they weren't teenagers with nothing to lose. All four of these men said he is worth it all. And so today, the question that the Lord would ask us is the same one he said to the Pharisees. He says, I want you to hear, those who are well, they don't need a physician. But those who are sick, and I came to call, not the righteous, but sinners. There is not a single man, woman, boy, or girl on this earth who has not been sick with the disease of sin. There's no one righteous, not even one. And so you, you and your pride, you and your story, you and what you have to lose, that's the only thing that will keep you from Jesus. And the King of Kings was not ashamed to draw near to you. So men, Man up. 
be ashamed to trust him with everything. Ladies, his voice was just as clean and just as simple. Follow me. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing in your life right now, only you can answer that question. Is Jesus really worth it all? What will you do with the fact that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was unashamed to draw near? Seek him and trust him because you need him. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. The reality is, Lord, I, I, I think, oh, Father, we just try, try to make sales pitches. We try to make deals with you to justify our brokenness and our sin. But Lord Jesus, today, it is not about all that we are. It's about all that you are. We are in the same shoes as the paralytic and the tax collector. So Father God, if there's a man or a woman or a boy or a girl in this room today that up until this point has let the shame in their life get in the way of them seeking and trusting you right now, God, would you let your presence, would you let your authority overwhelm that idea? Lord, so that we might 